Hey, Dog Nation. Happy Thursday. Welcome to Cover 4 Live with Mike Griffith, Jeff Sintel, and a really cool-looking Han Solo costume. I love how Jeff's going to have his blaster so you know exactly uh, who he is there, which is a uh, really very cool Connor Riley on hand there as well. Of course, uh, happy early Halloween to all of you. Maybe we'll get into some Halloween talk before we're all said that. I-, I will confess this as we get going here. While we're doing the show simultaneously to all this, our family's actually in the midst of carving our pumpkins. So we've got uh, multiple pumpkins being carved right now. The moment this show's over, I'm going to run back down there and start scooping that goop out of the pumpkins. Admittedly, not my favorite job in the world, but that's what's happening here at the uh, Adams household tonight. And for everybody else, hope you're getting ready for the season as well. And of course, that also means Georgia, Florida, typically around this Halloween week each and every year. And obviously, this is a little bit different. I believe this is the largest point spread that Georgia's ever been favored in this game against Florida coming up on Saturday. Florida's been favored larger against Georgia, including 1997, by the way, when they lost as a 20-point favorite in this spot. But Georgia, the biggest uh, margin they've ever been a point spread favorite going to the game against Florida. Florida's already lost three times and feels appropriate to kind of just dive into this uh, right here. Connor, you think that uh, Florida's good enough to threaten Georgia at all on Saturday? I do. I think there's talent there on offense. I think they do enough things that'll make Georgia have to work a little bit. Obviously, how much of the LSU game factors into your evaluation of Florida, because that was a defensive performance that we'd really not seen from them at any point this season. So I think there's talent there. However, I do think there are some concerns with that talent. You look at the pressure rates. Uh, when Anthony Richardson or, or Emory Jones, for that matter, are throwing the ball under pressure, they are anemic. So I, I do think if things go well, you saw them go toe-to-toe with Alabama, a team I think we all agree here is a pretty good team, though obviously that game is played at home and not on a neutral site. So I think the talent is there, and there's there's a recipe where Florida is able to keep this game close. Whether or not they go out there and do it, that's another question, given what we saw against LSU. Yeah, Jeff, you know, Connor brings a pretty good point. If – you're going to say that Georgia wins easily against Florida, and I have. It is fair to wonder, well, how come that's different than the Alabama game? Is Georgia just that much better than Alabama? If, if Florida is incapable of keeping it close against Georgia, then how come they kept it so close against Alabama? That seems like a fair question. What would you say in response to that? Well, I think that is a fair question. Um, I, I keep I keep I have this ringing in my head, Brandon. Scoop and goop. Is that kind of like the, uh, the game plan for Florida on mm-hmm. Friday, like scoop and goop? I mean, this is what I heard way back in the spring. Florida's best team was going to be Anthony Richardson uh, at quarterback with a mess of run game, like more running backs than even probably even Georgia had. There were folks around the Gators Gators program that were touting that they had the best running back room in the country. Uh, And they've got the talent there. They've got some experienced talent there. And I think I think the way Florida stays in this game, everybody's bringing up wizardry and Dan Mullen and wheel routes. I think they got to run the ball. I really think that's the way they kind of keep this game close. It's going to feel a lot more like a Georgia game plan uh, than some dastardly, nefarious Emperor Kirby Smart uh, and the Death Star type stuff going on right now with uh, as imposing and imperial as the Georgia program looks. Mike, what do you think Florida's chances are to keep the game close on Saturday, knowing that Georgia's such a big favorite going into it? Well, I mean, I think it depends on who starts at quarterback for Georgia. I've said that. I think it's two different game plans. It's two different tempos. Uh, I agree with Connor and Jeff. You know, I, I think that Con- that uh, Connor's right that that Florida can keep it close. I mean, let's flip it around. Who says George blows anybody out? I mean, it's fourteen to seven over Kentucky at halftime in Sanford Stadium. I mean, Kentucky's not the monsters of the Midways, guys. They 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 barely beat East Tennessee State. 
earlier this year or Chattanooga or whoever the heck it was. It was Chattanooga. Yeah, they beat South Carolina by six points. East Tennessee and, State beat Vanderbilt. That, if, if, if we're going to try to get our like uh, group of five or FCS versus SEC games, it was East Tennessee State who beat Vanderbilt week one. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, they beat South Carolina 16 to 10. I mean, here's George beating them 14 to 7. And everybody talk about how hot Stetson Bennett is. He missed three open receivers. He's up by a touchdown over a Kentucky team that's borderline top 25 in most, most well, no, years. To be fair, though, it is a 60-minute game, though, to be fair. Yeah, if then we got to count the 23-play drive at the end of it, you know. But, well, but I just – I don't think George's offense, I mean, really, if we if we really want to, you know, peel back the layers of the onion, B.A., as you would say, and, you know, they, they didn't look great against Clemson, although Clemson was a very good defense. They looked great against South Carolina, but <clears throat> so does everybody these days, right? Uh, you know, who did they re- – you know, UAB was, you know, ne- you know, the coaches need to go to a coaching clinic or something. They gave up three plays over 70 yards. That game was over before it started. Poor Sam Pittman's team. Couldn't even get a snap off in Sanford Stadium, and they were down twenty-one to zero before you know Sam could order some wings from the concession stand. So I, I just I haven't seen this offense. You know the Kentucky game to me, they don't look explosive, and you know Florida has been hot and cold. You know Connor made a great point. I, I think Jeff also has a very good point about Florida's ability to run the football. UAB went for over a hundred. Granted. You know, I don't know, were they just not trying that day? Sometimes we say that. Well, you know, they were up by so many. We kind of pick and choose. But, um, you know, can they get loose on the perimeter? Mobile quarterback. Will we see some misdirection, some traps to use George's great pursuit speed against it? So uh, to answer the question, I'm, I'm with Connor. I'm with Jeff. And I, and I hate to correct you because you're right 99% of the time on this gambling stuff. But in 1971 – uh, Georgia was a 21-point favorite. So it's Is actually – true? This, yeah, Patrick Garvin did some really nice research on that and found that through some gold star bookie book. I don't know. but So this is actually the second largest spread. But still, 71 seems like another – well, hell, it was another lifetime. You guys weren't even bored yet. So, um, so yeah, there's there's my take coming out of the gate. I think this could be a close game, especially if, if uh, Stetson's the starter and not JT. Yeah, I think the thing that I keep coming back to, Connor, is though, is that, you know, some of the things that have plagued Dan Mullen the entire time that he's been at Florida are very much on the field for Saturday. We see Georgia continuing to stockpile talent year after year after year. A lot of that talent plays on Saturday. And there have been some real high profile misses for Dan Mullen. Much the same over the last couple of weeks. You've seen, you know, Shamar James leave the twenty twenty two Florida class. And and by the way, Jeff's got a great story with Shamar at dognation.com right now. Julian Humphrey, who has now hinted that he's very close to making another commitment decision here pretty soon. Much of the same way guys like that are exiting the Florida 2022 class. It's been the inability to get those guys, especially along the lines of scrimmage, right? That's one of the things that Chris Doring, the SEC network analyst said on SEC Country Live with me yesterday is just really missing on those big defensive linemen. Like for a lot of Florida fans, you'll have to wonder, how come Jalen Carter's not playing for Florida? You know, how come even Warren Brinson's not at a place like the University of Florida? And that's one of the reasons why I just don't think in this particular game, Florida is actually set up very well to, to compete against Georgia because I think the overwhelming majority of the best players who will play in this game will all be wearing red and black and not that hideous orange and blue. Well, I'd point out, I think Florida's offensive line has actually played better this year than it has in years past. But let's let's look at the Auburn game a little bit here. Auburn was able to do some stuff in the first half, and I would point out Kentucky was as well. But 
those teams didn't have the horses to hang for a full 60 minutes. And I think this might be a game where that shows up for Florida. And yes, they Florida's recruited better than Auburn and Kentucky have in recent seasons. But the depth that Georgia has to wear you down over the course of a four-quarter game, I think that could potentially come into play here against a Florida team that hasn't recruited at an elite level in recent years. Mm -hmm. The best recruiting class they've signed under Dan Mullen is ninth. And one of those number nine ranked classes is a Fugazi class. They had a couple guys that signed there but didn't end up making it to campus. So you wonder about over the course of 60 minutes, especially if Florida wants to play this physical game this late into the season – do they have just, just straight up horses or in this case players to hang with Georgia over the course of 60 minutes? I, I'm not sure. And if they lose this game and they lose bad or, or this game sort of gets away from them at the end, Florida has the number nine recruiting class in the SEC right now. Yeah. 23rd or 22nd overall sandwiched between South Carolina and West Virginia. That is not where Florida – and granted, yes, there's still a long way to go before – national signing day that's not where florida should exist in a recruiting standpoint as georgia continues to bring in elite prospects and sign top 100 players georgia has eight right now florida has one as georgia continues to stockpile recruits if mullen who pretty clearly isn't just going to become a better recruiter he's at year four there at florida you kind of are what you are especially when you've been coaching for as long as he has if this game plays out like the way I just laid out, where Florida just sort of struggles to keep up over the course of 60 minutes, a la like it did, I think, in 2018, man, you have to start asking some real hard questions about what Dan Mullen is doing there at Florida. You know, I think it's a fair point. You know, Jeff, the other thing that comes to mind here is, well, Georgia's number one team in the country. Maybe they're getting complacent. Georgia's, you know, facing a rivalry game. Anything can happen in a rivalry. We often hear those kinds of things said. But because of what happened last year and the bad taste that I'm assuming – is still very much in the mouth of Kirby Smart. I know how much he dislikes Florida. I don't think that's a very well-kept secret. Obviously, these Georgia players have the extra motivation that comes along with the rivalry game here. In my mind, I think there's very little concern that somehow Florida sneaks up on Georgia or Georgia spent the last two weeks reading its pre- uh, press clippings. I think, if anything, this is a Georgia team that's chomping at the bit to be back on the football field again and get that bitter taste of last year's loss out of their mouth and get some much, much needed revenge against the Gators team that they want to make look like was truly a fluke what went down in 2019. I think, um, first of all, I got I to I gotta salute and maybe commend Connor for his point about Florida's recruiting class. I mean, I, I thought Florida's recruiting class smelled bad on the outside. Uh, you slice it open and you start looking at the tauntaun guts of that recruiting class, yeah. and all of, sudden, all of a sudden it's, it's really, really, really terrible. Um I was going to work in and never tell me on that one. I was going to, I was going to tell you, I was going to work in and never tell me the odds, Mike, well, right. references. We were talking about sports entertainment, wagering and everything else like sure. this, but Brandon, I'll keep it pretty simple. I think uh, I, I, I have zero worries about Georgia with complacency and overlooking or feeling a little bit too high and mighty or big in their britches going into this Florida game. Uh, I, I think Kirby smart would like to play this Florida game for the next 30 years and he could probably only stomach one more loss in this rivalry, much light, much less the, the last loss. He's ready for your Gator Hater countdown to get restarted and burgeoning again like it was when it was going strong. What did it get to, 1,500, Brandon? How high did it get up to? What was, what was We the were up over 1,000. I'm not great at math, to be honest with you, but we were we were up over 1,000. We were three years running on that thing, so well over 1,000, knocking on the door of 1,500, I guess. That's simple yeah. I'm not great at math. <laughs> so I mean, there's a lot about this game. The one thing, you know, Dan Dan Mullen could call the game of his life. He could trot out three future number one picks. I think I saw some 
scouting stuff that went viral, how some folks think that Anthony Richardson is a future number one overall pick in the draft, a la Michael in, Vick. In football? Um, yes, in football. Um, I didn't think I didn't think George Lucas used any CGI or industrial light and magic wizardry to conjure up that scouting report. But uh, that's hey, man, if it was on the Internet and I think Mike Griffith might have retweeted it. So it has to be right. There you uh, go. But um, I mean, I, 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 this is not a game. I have zero, zero, zero worries about uh, Georgia uh, overlooking or not taking this one seriously. Mike, let me come back to you one more second before we change the subject here. You know, Tom Fornelli at CBS Sports has written about this. Uh, Pat Dooley, veteran reporter down in Gainesville, has gone on the Fine Bomb show and talked about it. Uh, as mentioned, I had Chris Doring on SEC Country Live, and he's addressed the idea of the – I don't want to call it job status of Dan Mullen because I truly don't think that Mullen can be fired after the 2021 season, but but quality of life is certainly a real thing. And seems like having lost three games in the heels of a four-loss season – a year ago, it would appear that Dan Mullen's quality of life here has been pretty injured, especially for the decision to bring back Todd Grantham in 2021 when most Florida fans thought that was a mistake. What do you think happens to Mullen with his own fan base if Florida loses again on Saturday? Or, and and if, it's, if, it's a, if it's a convincing loss, if they lose by three or four touchdowns? Yeah, I was going to say it kind of depends on the, the score there. But, you know, in Florida's case, what helps them out a little bit, B.A., they – they have a pretty forgiving schedule. When you, when you look at how they finished the season after Georgia, South Carolina, Sanford, Missouri, Florida State, you know, you went out and you beat your rival Florida State and you beat them impressively. Uh, what are they right now? I want to say uh, three, four and three right now. So we're talking about another eight and four campaign. And then maybe you win your bowl game. <clears throat> I think some of the thing that some of what we're dealing with is the semantics of it. You know, Anthony Richardson, uh, you know, looks to me, you know, to kind of be, you know, maybe maybe the future at quarterback. And I think if you, you know, make a quarterback change, sort of like what happened with with Georgia last year. You know, remember how, you know, Georgia gets beat by Florida, beat down, really. You hated to see it. They were up 14 to zero and it just disappeared in 12 minutes in the second quarter. Um, Georgia couldn't run, they couldn't throw, and, you know, oh, my gosh, the world was ending. You know, they'd gotten blown out by Alabama with over 500 yards of offense, supposed to be the best defense ever. Florida puts over 500 yards up, and we're just starting to really wonder what in the world. And uh, that was just such a devastating loss for the first time since 2016. Georgia didn't control their future. You know, we're like, well, what are we supposed to do now? Usually we know that Georgia can still go to the SEC championship game, and now they've lost control of their own destiny. But JT emerged and had that incredible performance against Mississippi State, thrown for over 400 yards on a night Georgia couldn't run it, and then, uh, you know, took care of business against Missouri, South Carolina, um, you know, an exciting bowl game against an undefeated Cincinnati team with, half the offensive line missing and two or three NFL guys on defense opted out. And, and Georgia finishes the year in the top 10 on a four-game winning streak. And all of a sudden, you know, the, the dog nation is, is lifted back up because of a strong finish and a new quarterback. So part of me wonders with, with Anthony Richardson's emergence, you know, and, and I don't know how this plays out, if it plays out in this game, if that shows some promise, maybe after this game, you know, Jones is out, Richardson's in, and you win the next third, three or four games by 30 or 40 points. Maybe you fire Todd Grantham after the season, bring Charlie Strong back. 
and you know you get a boost and and optimism. Fans are very resilient, okay. And uh, but I don't think Dan Mullen gets fired. In the big picture, you know that's on more of a granular breakdown there. From a macro standpoint, you got to remember Scott Strickland is tied to the hip with Dan Mullen, and they've got some off the field issues in other sports with women's basketball. If something happens to Scott Strickland, that really lights the fire under Dan Mullen. And I'm not sure who who pushes the other, but those two go together. And if Strickland's gone, then the clock starts on Mullen is my prediction. Not, yeah. not to say that Scott is gone, but it's worth keeping an eye on that women's basketball situation and if the football program continues to struggle. Well, I don't know anything about the women's basketball situation, but I have noticed in some Florida message boards, Scott Strickland's not very popular right now, either for the reason that Mike just mentioned, because there is this thought that Strickland and Mullen are kind of connected there together. So that's worth paying attention to. As I said before, I agree with Mike. I don't think that Mullen can be fired after this season, but boy, I could see him being a pretty unpopular guy during the offseason, unless, as Mike pointed out, something changes during the year to make that a uh, possibility. Now, we were talking back during the spring about Anthony Richardson being the the, the, the better of the two quarterbacks between Emory Jones, but it's also worth pointing out that there is a reason up until now, at least in Mullen's mind, why he hasn't trusted Richardson yet with a full game. Maybe we'll see a lot of him on Saturday and we'll see some of the wrinkles in game time action that maybe Dan Mullen is noticing during practice. By the way, a couple of things here that I want to point out what Connor Raleigh's put on his head here, which actually makes me very excited. Willie Gray, and this is actually a really good point. He says that uh, Florida got in so much trouble at LSU Connor, that they had to bring out some of the wrinkles, wrinkles with AR-15. They wanted to spring on Georgia. They had to print, They had to pull those out there against uh, LSU, which I think is a great comment. So you weigh in on that and also tell us, how is it that you've come to put on the Braves hat here? Because I'm very happy to, to see that on your head. Well, you know, Ted Lasso, show of the year. A stands for AFC Richmond. I'm wearing my, my Ted Lasso kit. We're, we're going as Coach Beard this year for uh, okay. for Halloween. So, you know, I, the Anthony Richardson thing, it's probably the worst kept secret in the SEC right now with the way that, you know, he has looked in spurts and then played sort of there in the second half. Granted, again, you know, he does some nice things. He's certainly an explosive player in a way Emory Jones really isn't. Emory Jones is much more methodical. And I think if you go back to what Jeff laid out as your mode of beating this Georgia team of grinding it out, Emory Jones kind of sounds like the better quarterback there, whereas – you know, Anthony Richardson right now, what we know about him, he's kind of a feast or famine type player. He can hit on explosive plays, and, and we've seen in college football in recent years, that's how you win games, especially games in these top, you know, top team matchups where Georgia obviously isn't, Florida kind of isn't right now. But with Richardson, there's also the bust factor, and he gets pressured and he takes sacks. Florida falls behind early. What we've seen from Georgia so far, this isn't a team that you can come back on easily where they're allowed to pin their ears back and really get after you as a quarterback. So I expect Anthony Richardson to be the starting quarterback or at least the quarterback that plays the most for Florida on Saturday. But whether or not he's effective, I I really don't know, especially with this being what could potentially be his first career start. Bill Kelly said, will Dog Nation be on meta? I don't know why that's just really funny to me. Uh, uh, Very funny stuff all the way around. Uh, I want to change the subject of the Georgia quarterback situation moment, but Jeff, your hand is raised. Go ahead and uh, jump in here uh, for now. Yeah, uh, Connor, I'll, I'll, this will be a Star Wars reference-free segment um, for you. I'll, I'll come back with them later because some people are popping up and like, what is Jeff doing? Um, a lot of shout-outs to uh, the following the comments today. Somebody made me laugh a minute ago. Connor, I wasn't laughing at what you said. That was actually a good point. But someone said something about my good buddy Mike right up there. He said he is three gold chains away from being a soprano right now for Halloween. That's not bad. 
I mean, come on. Come on. Mike, could you, you gotta... do the Polly Walnuts like uh, <laughs> silver wings? That would look really good. Mike, it would be a great on. Halloween costume for you. It'd be a great yeah. costume. You know, I, I think the Sopranos were at my hotel last week when I was on vacation. I, 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 I can't do that, guys. That You know, that, that, that New York accent and – I mean, you think I'm obnoxious. These people, these, the, I couldn't stand it. I, uh, so no, I don't, I, I couldn't go there. I just couldn't go there. Well, I understand that. Well, let's go here instead. Go ahead, Jeff. So Brandon, real serious football question for our panel here. Bye, I want to know this, which, which, which quarterback situation do we think we'll see more variance on Saturday? Well, variance means the more splittage evenly of reps. Will it be JT and Stett, or will it be AR-15 and Emory Jones? I'm very curious to what everybody thinks. I think Florida will show more will show more balance in the quarterback reps than Georgia on Saturday. That's a really good question. In fact, let's use that to kind of springboard into the quarterback situation here. Uh, Mike, I'll let you take this. Um, which team do you think plays two quarterbacks the most on Saturday? Florida with Jones and um, – uh, uh, Richardson or Georgia with Bennett and Daniels? Wow, that's tough. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm guessing because I don't know who's starting for either team, obviously. But yeah, um, obviously. I, I, would, I would probably just say Florida just because they have. And I feel like that uh, once Kirby finds a, a quarterback that moves the team, I just – I don't think he's as apt – to mess around with it, you know. Um, I know that when he started JT in the past, I mean, Kirby obviously, you know, has, you know, a lot of loyalty or whatever for Stetson. He loves the guy. He just loves the guy. And he'll play him just to play him. Was, oh, he just deserves it. I've never seen another coach just play a quarterback because he deserves it. But Kirby will tell you. He likes this kid, and he'll play him. But in a game like this with a national championship, whoever, if Stetson's playing well, then there's no need to play JT or if Stetson struggles and JT comes in and JT gets it going. I don't think Stetson goes back in. Conversely, the last game we saw the Florida quarterback split the halves for whatever reason, I think Mullen will stick with Emory Jones. These coaches just get, you know, married to these quarterbacks. We saw it with Felipe Franks ahead of, you know, uh, Kyle for so long there. So I'm going to go with Florida because I think Florida is going to have to make a quarterback change earlier and I think this is the game Anthony Richardson um, kind of shows that he's the better quarterback and, and gets something going. Because it's going to take somebody dynamic to play special to move the football on this Georgia defense. Connor, do you think both Bennett and Daniels play on Saturday? And by play, I mean like really play. I do. Uh, we talked with James Cook last night. He sort of let it out that they're both not only preparing to play, but – getting first team reps. I think we could see something like we saw against South Carolina where JT got the first two series. Stetson comes in for the third one. Stetson happened to throw an interception in that game. And from there they rode with JT the rest of the way. Mike did sort of lay that case out there, but I think you're going to probably, I would you know to the original question. I would probably say we see Georgia maybe rotate a little bit more than Florida does because, you know, while Mike, I, I think Mike make really good points with Emory Jones and, you know, Dan wanting to stick with him. I think he kind of knows that Anthony Richardson has to be his meal ticket here, not just for this game. You know, they can lose this game, I think, and still if Anthony Richardson plays well and they show signs of progress, maybe going forward some of the heat comes off Mullen a little bit. However, I think back to the 2018 game where everyone was calling for Justin Fields and, and Kirby Smart stuck with his guns and, and played Jake Fromm and I believe said, Jake, 
you're a guy today. And if it goes well, you're a guy the rest of the year. If it goes poorly, it's Justin's time. And Jake delivered on that day. And I don't know right now, especially with what we saw Mullen do in the second half there against LSU, if Dan Mullen is going to have that same conviction to stay with Emory Jones. Yeah, I think that's interesting. You know, Jeff, the 2018 game does stick in my mind here a little bit because, listen, I don't mind telling you, I think history makes it seem like Kirby made me have made the wrong choice between Justin Fields and Jake Fromm. And I don't want to really litigate that now. Different people have different opinions on that. But as someone who feels that way, even I have to acknowledge that given the way that Fromm played in 2018, it was hard to put him on the bench again after that. He played arguably his best game as a Georgia Bulldog against Florida at a time when his job very well might have been on the line there in that spot. And so what I would say to either of these two quarterbacks on Saturday, because I actually agree with Connor based on what the Georgia players have said this week, um, I do think that both quarterbacks probably play on Saturday. There are some Georgia fans who say, oh, you can't affect the rhythm that Bennett has. He should be the guy. There's some people who say that JT Daniels was the guy that was pegged at the beginning of the season to be the starting quarterback. He should be the guy now that he's back healthy. Whichever side you come down on this, I think with chance to play on Saturday, my charge to both Bennett and Daniels would be the same thing that Jake Fromm did in 2018. Just go out there and make it obvious. If you're supposed to be the guy because you have been starting, or if you're supposed to be the guy because you were the starter when you were healthy at the beginning of the season, then go back out there and prove that on Saturday. My assumption is, and my assumptions have been wrong before, but my assumption is both quarterbacks will have time to do that. And Obviously, during practice is an important part of that. We don't get to see that. We do get to see what happens in a game. And so if you're the better guy, then go out and prove that unequivocally uh, on Saturday. Yeah, Brandon, the thing I'm looking at, and so I'm sort of I'm, I'm vibing on what you're saying right there. The thing I'm looking at for this game is not maybe how the Gators rise up and maybe stymie Georgia and make it difficult for Georgia. I think if you roll out JT Daniels, and Stetson Bennett in this game, and both of them get, you know, at least 30, 40% of the reps. I think this will go a long way towards determining maybe who's the long-term plan for this year at, at for Georgia at quarterback. Let's say Stetson comes in and he does what he's always done. Uh, let's say JT comes in and elevates the play and elevates the offense another level above that. I mean, we, one thing we've seen from Kirby Smart, he loves not being ambiguous about his quarterbacks. He loves giving the opposing side two different thought patterns or thought trees to think about in terms of game planning. That's what he'll always be as a defensive coordinator by trade. But we know that on the field really matters in terms of who his quarterback's going to be. So let's say JT has some rust. Let's say Stetson keeps trucking on. I think that'll be very interesting. There's one point I went back and forth. I talked to about three or four really, really big-time football minds this week about this game, and they wonder – you don't have Jermaine Burton back yet. You don't obviously have Pickens back yet. You don't have maybe a Marcus Rosemey, Jack Saint. You don't have a Dominic Blaylock. I mean, those are really the type of future NFL-level receivers that an arm like JT Daniels can really thrash a Florida defense with. Um, and, and that's one point that came up to me a couple of times in terms of Georgia's doing just fine right now with Stetson and a lot of freshman receivers. Love the way Lad McConkey's playing. I think Lad McConkey's going to have another great – week and every big game he plays for Georgia he is just kind of that much that dude but um lots of things going on I think to me summarizing what I'm trying to say here is I think how Georgia's player personnel and offense performs against Florida when you rotate two different guys in JT healthy Stetson Bennett with the benefit of beating I think three or four top 20 teams this year I think that will go a long long way towards the confidence factor about Georgia's offense going forward 
Mike, I don't mind telling you that I still believe that JT, and I'll let you, actually, you, you make the comment you want to make, and then I'll say what I want to say. Go ahead. So why not leave Dan Jackson at safety instead of Christopher Smith if Christopher's not 100%? They've been winning with Dan Jackson. They've beaten ranked teams with Dan Jackson at safety. I mean, if, if you're going to – are you going to rotate those guys because Dan Jackson deserves it? I mean, I liked what Nick Saban said when he said, do y'all ever play sports? Don't the coaches play the best guy? And the answer here is only if Kirby feels like it. And so I don't know what he's going to feel like. And that's what it comes down to. He can do whatever he wants. And that defense is so good. I think Centel could play quarterback in the first half. And, 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 and Georgia could be winning. Hand off, play action. You miss a few receivers, no problem. There's going to be some guys wide open. Todd Munkin does such a tremendous job with his scheme and scheming things up. And remember last year when he stole the touchdown and Samir did a nice job coming around the corner and showed some speed, breaking that 75-yarder. But you really saw Florida get out-leveraged. I mean, that touchdown was almost drawn up. And, and Florida deserves some credit, too, because they had a defender take a bad angle. But, guys, Munkin does such a great job. He is such a weapon. And that's why we could talk about Stetson Bennett or JT Daniels or Jake Fromm. Or, I mean, heck, there's a lot of quarterbacks that you could put behind that Georgia offensive line with Todd Munkin and win football games. Because as Eric Zier said last week, the guys that are open are wide open. And and Jeff, I get your point about Jermaine Burton, but you know, he hasn't lived up to that. I mean, Lad McConkie, I'd take Lad McConkie over Burton because what you said, the best ability is availability. And Lad's going to be out there playing. And and Burton, you know, it's an ankle. It's a hyperextended knee. It's a groin. It's, I, you know, COVID. It's, it, the guys had everything go wrong in less than, I mean, bad luck. I don't know. But he's not – he doesn't stay healthy. I don't know if we're going to see Blaylock back this year. The poor kid had a knee and then a hamstring. I mean, that's just rough. You know, Pickens is – you know, man, if he ever comes back, that'd be great. But you don't even feel like they need him. Because A.D. Mitchell has been unbelievable. Because Lad McConkey has – because Brock Bowers. And now here comes Darnell. So my point is I, I think that JT would still be effective with those receivers – and I recognize that Stetson can run a little bit. JT doesn't have to because he's converting third down throws. So I don't think it's necessarily that Stetson, you know, gives you anything JT can. I don't think that's it. I think it's a loyalty thing. I think it's a, a chemistry. I think Connor brought up, you know, some of the momentum that, that Stet has had. BA, I think you brought up he's got some wins. But my point is, if you're going to do that for Stat, then why don't you do it for Dan Jackson? Because he's a former walk-on who's played well, and they've won games with him back there. Smith's injured. You know, does Smith have to wait and and come in behind Dan Jackson? Because that's hypocritical to me. All right, but here's the thing, though. The thing that you're saying that I believe is 100% untrue is the idea that Stetson Bennett's status right now is based on some sort of sense of loyalty from Kirby Smart. And I'll tell you why I don't believe that's true. If that was true, it should have also been true last offseason as well. Because if you're loyal to Stetson Bennett, you could have very easily said, well, we saw JT Daniels play well for four games. Remember, he actually stepped on his starter because Bennett got hurt against Florida. There was an argument that you could have made for Bennett last year in 2020. In fact, Smart has already made some of that, that, that Bennett, he thought, played well in 2020. But go back to last March, Atlanta radio interview. Smart named JT Daniels his starting quarterback. There's only been one other time 
that Smarts treated any of his quarterbacks at Georgia as a true, obvious starter before the season began. That was Jake Fromm in 2019 when there seemingly wasn't as much uh, competition to even unseat from there in that spot. So this notion that that Bennett is only getting this opportunity right now because of some misguided sense of loyalty from Smart, if that were true, then it seems like there was also a chance to make it an open competition in 2020, which is kind of Smart's modus operandi anyway. That's his typical procedure to do those kinds of things, and he didn't. He clearly tabbed JT Daniels, the starting quarterback then. The point I'm getting to is things have changed. Daniels has not been healthy. Bennett has also played well. But I think the bigger issue with all of this is that Daniels hasn't been healthy. It's great that he's healthy now, but given the fact that he's had lingering muscle injuries and, and, and issues, unfortunately, you can't be sure that's not going to flare up again. Mike, that's why you can't just toss Stetson Bennett aside for the guy that was the starting quarterback at the beginning of the season because there's a very good chance you may have to go back to him this year because this thing with Daniels, whatever it is, multitude of things possibly, it just sort of lingers. That's why Smart's doing what he's doing, at least in my mind. It's not a misguided sense of loyalty. He doesn't know how healthy JT Daniels is going to be and how healthy he's going to remain for the rest well, of the He's told year. us, but he's told us he let us watch practice. He told us that he's healthy. So what are, what do we wait? Are we are we going to put JT in, a, in bubble wrap till Alabama when you really need him? Is that I mean, I, I get your point that you don't want to wreck Stet because if JT goes down again, then you need Stetson to know you believe in him and you have confidence in him. But at the same time, that's coaching malpractice. If you've got a, a guy with NFL talent, you know, that's nine and nine on third down, it's like saying, I, I, I can't even think of it because I've never seen this happen. I've never seen a five, eight walk on play ahead of a guy. That he's crazy. not five, eight. Come on. Five, nine. Come on. I mean, he's Mike. not five, 10, but, I, but my point is this. I've never seen this disparity in talent at this level and I can't trace it to anything else. I mean, Stetson's played, Okay, but B.A., that first half last week was horrible. You saw what I saw. He missed three wide-open receivers. It's 14-7 to at home. If you get off to a slow start against Florida, I mean, let, let me just say this, guys. Well, Mike, you're, 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 you're thin-slicing a game in which he averaged 11 yards per attempt. Like, that's not fair. Like, um, I mean, I believe that JT Daniels is the quarterback that's most likely to lead them to win against Alabama. I believe that. I'm, I'm actually more on your side than not. But if you're going to take a game in which Stetson Bennett averaged 11 yards per attempt for the game and thin slice some small portion of that as some sort of proof against him, that's just That's malign. fair. Okay, so I don't want to thin slice anything. I'm going to major slice. I'm going to give you a whopper of a stat. I'm going to give you the stat of all the SEC games, and Connor already knows what's coming because he's grimacing. In all of the SEC games, Stetson Bennett is 8 of 17 passing. On that 8 of 17 passing, he's completed two of those passes for first downs. 8 of, two 17. of 17. Out of all the SEC games, JT in, in what circumstance? 9 of 9. Hold on, what circumstance? Third down passing okay, third in down. the SEC. Okay. Third down passes. You go back to pass – 17 times Stetson has passed on third downs. He's completed eight of those passes. I believe four Not of those bad. Downs, Not bad. But only twice. But only twice four have of those passes down. gone for first downs. Connor's up in here. Oh, uh, uh, well, uh, hold on. No, we got you. Here. I, I'm here. There we go. Somebody, yeah, somebody's trying to call me. Um. I mean, again, you know, Kirby's going to have to make a decision at some point with this quarterback situation. I, I don't know how long he can string this out. 
I do think JT is is the more talented option, but JT was hurt and I'll say he was ineffective against Clemson because of the way that he had played and he's missed the last three games and in the game Stetson Bennett has started, he is 4-0 with 10 touchdown passes and zero interceptions. I, I think that is to be taken into account there and I'll, I'll say this, you know, you can bench a guy once and he may be able to bounce back from that. If you bench a guy a second time, like it could potentially happen with Stetson Bennett, that's something that's really hard to come back from as a player. And as we've seen with JT, he can't stay healthy. It's been a litany of injuries. And even going back to his time at USC before the knee injury, suffered a concussion his freshman year and wasn't able to play the full season. So I do think Kirby is trying to thread a difficult needle here because we have not seen that JT can reliably stay healthy. And so you need to have Stetson be ready. But at the same point in time, I think we all here believe that JT gives you the best chance to beat the Alabamas and the Ohio States of the world. Yeah, let me say this, Mike, and this is the question I was going to ask you a moment ago. So I used to be of the belief, I'm still of the belief that you need JT Downs to beat Alabama. I used to be of the belief, boy, you got to have him ready for that cocktail party. Honestly, Florida's not as good as I thought they were. All of a sudden now, I'm not as worried about who plays quarterback on Saturday, speaking of somebody who's got a Georgia hat on and wants to see Georgia win this game. I think that Kirby's smart because of how good Georgia's been this year, because the defense is so good. Because Georgia has lost its starting quarterback and has not skipped a beat in the process in all of this, that has bought Georgia the luxury to let this play out. And if I'm right that Daniels is the quarterback that's best positioned to allow Georgia to beat Alabama, then Daniels ought to be able to make it obvious on Saturday. If he plays half the game and if Bennett plays half the game, then Daniels ought to be clearly, prohibitively, better than, than Stetson Bennett. So he has a chance on the field to show what hopefully he's been also showing in, in practice that, you know, uh, what is Bennett? Like he's like a Davey O'Brien semifinals. I mean, I'm not even really sure, you know, what that is. Like he's played pretty well, but if Daniels is as good as I think he is, then Daniel steps on the field and exceeds that level, not just on third down, but avoiding third down, first and second down and everything else. He exceeds that level of play. That George is actually in a luxurious position to let this play out in front of all of our eyes the way that it's also playing out right now this week in practice. But keep in mind, you know, Smart's talked about the idea that, you know, JT's still working his way back in all that, shaking off some rust and things like that. So let's see if he does look rusty on Saturday. If he doesn't, then maybe he'll be the, the, the clearly better guy because obviously that's what he was tabbed to be before the season began. Yeah, I agree. I think it plays out on the field. But let me throw this scenario. You lose to Florida playing Stetson Bennett. What does that do to the Kirby Smart quarterback thing? I mean, all it's all over again. It would just, I mean, you know, you 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 don't start JT, you start Stetson, you fall behind, you put JT in, it's too late, and everybody's ticked because Kirby started Stetson Bennett and lost by starting the less talented guy. I, I think that'd be hard for Kirby to come back from. I think it would hurt his recruiting with elite quarterbacks. I think there'd be some real questions. I already know that, and again, I mean, I I hate to get on here and be this, this – uh, literal but i mean nfl people laugh out loud at anybody that makes that comparison i mean there's i love stead in the story and the way he's played but he is a backup quarterback guys he is i mean now can can kirby win with him with his elite defense absolutely but the to put him in the same sentence with jt daniels is laughable and i've talked to nfl scouts about this and they're like there's no way that's happening that's not really happening so this could be a moot point Kirby could start JT, and, and we may not even see Stetson. But my, my only point is um, I do feel like there is a loyalty there. 
Um, it's it's unique. It's two South Georgia guys that a lot of people underestimated. Kirby's very defensive of Stetson, very, very defensive to the point of telling us that he played really well last year. Look, man, I was there for the Alabama game. He didn't play good in the second half. He didn't play good against Kentucky. Um, I thought he was playing great against Florida when he got hurt, but to try to, try to do this revisionist history and tell us that Stetson played great last year, he didn't. He played okay. Jeff, let me give you the final word on this. I don't think Mike is wrong when he says – that there is a – I mean, gosh, if Georgia lost the game on Saturday and Bennett's time at quarterback could be pointed to as the reason why, that's clearly a bruise on Kirby Smart's reputation. I I don't deny that at all. I think the point that I'm trying to make, though, is is there's also risk on the other side there as well. Go back and look at the last three years. Um, So far, JT Daniels has missed a lot more games than he's played. You can't be sure how healthy he's going to be down the stretch here, and you can't just toss aside easily – a quarterback that has been playing well. Belief is a powerful thing in a locker room right now, and even if it's false belief, this Georgia team has developed a sense of belief seemingly in Stetson Bennett. So I don't think that Mike is incorrect when he says, boy, there's a risk with playing a quarterback and having that guy not play well, but there's also risk in tossing a quarterback aside there too. And I think this is not fantasy football. This is real football with real players in the locker room and how they interact together from a chemistry standpoint does matter on on, on both sides of this issue. Yeah, good points on both sides here. Uh, a couple things. Number one, we got to remember we're playing college football here, guys. We're not playing NFL football. Uh, I know a lot of the upper tier comparisons about JT. We all see him. We don't need anybody to diatribe for 17 seconds or 22 seconds about how much JT is a better college prospect, better NFL prospect than uh, Stetson Bennett. We all get that. Um, this is very much a show me league, though, guys. And really, if you want to look about, I've got to look at JT Daniels. Whenever JT Daniels gets into the jet and starts flying it for Georgia this season, he still has a lot of show me against big elite defenses uh, to put out. I mean, he has got to put this performance out. Potential is great. The ability is great. He fires the ball out great. It looks like a torpedo. It looks like a aspirin tablet getting down there. I get it. But you got to show it in the best Saturday league. And, folks, if we're being frank, JT Daniels hasn't done that yet. He hasn't done that to the extent that Stetson Bennett has had success against top 20 Arkansas, top 20 Kentucky. He's got some put-that-beaver-pelt-on-the-wall type wins for Georgia. Maybe it hadn't looked brilliant. Maybe it hadn't looked good from a pro football focus rating, but he's gotten it done. Second point, maybe I've got brains, Braves on the brain here, but tell me if I'm wrong with this, guys. I look at this entire Georgia season kind of like a Paul Bird or a Chuck James or a Kent Merker starting for the Atlanta Braves as the fifth starter. You're going through the fourth inning. You're going through the fifth inning. You're going through the sixth inning. The guy's getting guys out. Why do you need to bring the gas? Why do you need to bring the first-round talent from the bullpen when the guy keeps matriculating you down the season? That's what I think Stetson Bennett has done. It has given Georgia the luxury of whenever it takes to get JT right and whenever it gets JT to play his brilliant game against the Florida or against an Alabama or against somebody in the – national semifinal or the national final, he's going to be ready and he's not going to be banged up because Brandon makes a really great point. Everybody knows this. Even the diehard Georgia fans know this, that somehow we talk about JT's track record. Again, the biggest knock on JT, durability, answering the bell, playing at 85, playing at 90%. That's the one thing we need to see from JT. We all know he can do it. We all know he can make it, make that jet plane fly. We know he can drop the Tomahawk missiles on everybody but we need to see it against a big boy team. 
All right, Megan, final words on this? You want to change the subject? All right, let's do something kind of fun here for a moment. Um, let's talk about the game in Jacksonville and the uh, weird <laughs> stuff that went on with Lenny Curry, yeah. the Jackson mayor this week. But also, Connor and Jeff, I don't know if you've seen this. Our buddy William Perry, who's a terrific commenter, a lot of our shows on video, also very active on Twitter. Take a look at this, guys. So he commissioned a uh, terrific artist named Dave Helwig, and this is the No Fun Zone with, you see, me, Connor, and Jeff in the hot tub there. Thankfully, we're all wearing shirts. There was not anyone forced to endure the shirtless version of BA and all of this. You see Mike tied to the, I guess, the palm tree here. Is that a boat oar that he's tied to there as well? Yeah, the, the, come were- on, BA. It's the rivalry trophy. Come on. Oh, that's the, oh gosh, I always get hate Wow. Mike's wow. working on a typewriter. Or I, I, I get Mike's mail. working on a typewriter. That's amazing. I, I, I get hate mail every time on this. Yeah, that's the Okie Finoki oar. Uh, that's the uh, the Gators get the party pooper. He's biting Mike's leg off, apparently. And we're all drinking the, uh, martinis. martinis. Yeah, we're all sipping martinis. Go. Listen, I don't mind a good martini. Uh, no problem with that at all. Uh, in, in honor of the true cocktail party, you see the dog there saying, Keep it in Jack's. I showed this to Mike on Dog Nation Daily, so now he's already seen this. But Connor and Jeff, what do you think of the terrific work of art here commissioned by our buddy William Perry and brought to life by Dave Helwick? I got, some questions about the, <laughs> I got some questions Extremely accurate. about the cartoon drawings of our faces, but other than that, it's... it's well, first it's, of all, I'm, like, I'm way slimmer now than my picture says right there, way slimmer. Uh, I yeah. also don't think Jeff's got quite as much mu- muscle tone as his picture uh, seems to think that he does, but you know I what? Think so. uh, I think listen, so. I think uh, that's... One more. I, I'm, I'm very impressed with this all the way around. I mean, Dave has done a lot of great work. If you, you know, I, I've been in a lot of Georgia rooms across the southeast, oh, yeah. a lot of man caves, and you see Dave's work showing up everywhere. Um, I mean, oh yeah. I mean, I, I want to know sure. this, M- Mike. Give me the thought bubble of your reaction the first time you saw that. I, I thought it was hilarious. The yeah, he's detail, a great sport about it. Great sport the, the about de- it. The detailing is amazing, right down to the tint of my sunglasses on my baseball cap. I'm like, who notices I wear the the blue Maui Jim sunglasses. I mean, that's the greatness in any work of art, whether it's Centel's Intel recruiting stories and the incredible details that he digs up, or whether it's Connor and and some of the uh, trend stories and the statistics that he throws in there, or whether it's BA and his incredible attention to detail with the Dog Nation Daily audience. To me, that's what makes every great artist. And uh, I just appreciated the details of it all. And, um, and the caricatures were were fascinating, and I I no, thought it I was think it's well done. It was really hey. well done, and it's a good way to make light of you know we all have different opinions from time right. to time, and it's nice that we can all sit back and chuckle about it. No, I think it's well done. I think you're absolutely right, Mike. It was done in good fun by our buddy William and Dave, the artist, and it's uh, certainly you know kind of uh, obviously received that way by all of us and. I mean, here's what I've said on my show this week. Like, I love the cocktail party. I love the game being in Jacksonville. I do believe the game, even though there was some backtracking on the idea that the extension had been signed for 24 and 25, I think the game will still be played in Jacksonville in 24 and 25, and I actually believe it will exist in Jacksonville beyond that. But I'm not sure how much longer beyond 2025 the game is in Jacksonville because, you know, Kirby Smart's opinion does carry some weight, and obviously, and there's also, you know, shifting tide from Georgia fans. I hear more rank-and-file fans who – would like to see the the home schedule beefed up a little bit. Jeff, you've been going to this thing about as long as I've, I've been going to it. Do you think that you and I will one day no longer go to Jacksonville for the Georgia-Florida game? Because if that's true, then I want to enjoy it while I can. 
I think you'll have a you'll have an evolution of it. I think you'll have a maybe a mutation of it. I think there'll always be maybe a one in three cycle, perhaps with this game. There's just too many people that love this game, especially people that matter to the University of Georgia, especially the people that donate to the University of Georgia, especially all of Brandon's friends that donate to the University of Georgia. I mean, they've got they've got such. I mean, it, and Mike knows this story, and it's so funny because I think I think Mike can believe what he believes, and I can believe what he believes. And it's just through life experiences. Like, yeah. you know, I don't know how many people on our show know this or even care to know this, but I met my wife at Jacksonville. That's right. Um, that was one of those things where if Georgia didn't win the game when we were both students, then she wouldn't have went out that night. I never would have met her. And then you just you, – if you've ever been around the cocktail party when they have that ring around the stadium and folks are throwing those plush gators in front of tire tracks, in front of tires of That's right. Florida – RVs or Florida F-150s and begrudgingly gnashing your teeth, people roll over it. And then on the other side of the stadium, you see Florida fans doing that with plush bulldogs. You see cheerleaders coming around, and depending on the type of tip you get, uh, they'll do a Georgia cheer or they'll do a Florida and anti-Florida cheer. They always raise money. So many great traditions about this game. You split it down the middle. And, I mean, I understand the arguments. You know, the one argument I've seen said on my show – just don't make the recruiting argument with me. Just don't make that recruiting argument with me because it doesn't fly. Because, I mean, there's nowhere Georgia can finish other than number one in the country uh, in recruiting, and that's where they do. And, and I've never – I've been covering Georgia recruiting like my life depended on it for the last six years of my life. And not once have I, have I encountered a player that said, you know, I wanted to go to Georgia and see them and give them a chance, but there just wasn't a really good home game for me to make it there. Georgia is the juice, and they find a way to get the best players in the country there. So don't don't give me that stuff about, oh, they're missing out or how much better they could recruit. Don't make that argument. Make a lot of argument, other arguments like, is it fair, travel, yada, yada, yada. Don't make that argument. But to answer your question, two things. One, I think the most it will evolve to in our lifetime, which is probably another 30, 40 years, Brandon, that we're doing this, I would say that you're going to see a rotation. Maybe it goes Atlanta. Maybe it goes Jacksonville. It goes back and forth like that. Maybe you go Georgia, Gainesville, Jacksonville. Maybe you keep some of that. The other thing that's on my mind right now, despite all these facts and stats that I'm babbling about right here, is should the dogs get it done in Jacksonville this weekend, Brandon? We, we probably owe it to Dave and the good, good viewers of DogNation.com and DogNation Daily to drink some martinis that night. I, I have no problem with that whatsoever. That's uh, right up my alley for sure. Connor, what do you think about the future of this game in Jacksonville beyond, I guess, what is currently guaranteed through 2023 with the team options existing on 24 and 25? Well, don't ever play this game in Atlanta. Don't, don't, don't reduce it. Atlanta does not deserve yeah. the sophistication that is the world's largest outdoor. No, I, 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 don't, I don't need that in my life either. I agree with Connor. However, like, um, if it's not going to be in Jacksonville, then play in Athens and Gainesville. I don't want the game played in Atlanta at all. Yeah. As much as I believe that this game should remain in Jacksonville for perpetuity, I think that the location, as much as I have a disdain for the city of Jacksonville and Duval County, I, I think at some point this game is going to move to a home and home. Uh, I, I think, you know, if Kirby wins a national championship, maybe he's able to accumulate a little bit more power there within the athletic administration. I think he might finally get his way and turn this into a home and home. Maybe Florida gets a head coach that cares about recruiting and, and wants to use the Georgia Florida game as a, as a more recruiting staple to try and help them there. 
I, I disagree with it. I think this game is all what college football is all about having, having this sort of neutral site. You know, I don't think you're hearing the same complaints from Texas and Oklahoma fans when they play in, in Dallas every year. I think it's part of what makes college football special. This is a unique environment. And, you know, I'll say with regards to the Jacksonville mayor who looking a lot like Clarence Royce or Tommy Carcetti in terms of their incompetence, <laughs> tweeting out two years Jeez. after the fact at, well, that, that's a, that's Clay Davis. He that's was state a, a, senator. A, that's a state, state senator. Yeah, state senator. That's a different area of politics there. I, 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 again, I think at some point, maybe even, you know, after 2025, starting 2026, which I'd also point out is the first year of the college football playoff and the year after Texas and Oklahoma join the league. Maybe we do see this move to a home and home, which I think would be a detriment to this rivalry. I mean, Mike, here's the thing. and I know you're very much in favor of it. You know, the thing we've all gotten used to in college football is everything changes and the SEC scheduling overall is about to change. It seems likely that the league's going to have to go to a nine-game schedule to accommodate the 117 teams that are about to be in the SEC. Just give them all enough games. We have to expand the conference schedule. And admittedly, as someone who's very much in favor of the cocktail party, it does become harder to play the cocktail party when you've got the, you know, the imbalanced every other year home schedule that could be created by a, by a nine game conference slate. Yeah, there's a lot of man. There's there's a lot to unpack. I guess I, I hear what Jeff's saying, and I I do not question Centel's intel. But the idea of giving Nick Saban a twelve and a half twelve and a half percent advantage in anything. Look, people say Georgia's doing good enough. And, you know, when I covered Tennessee, I thought Georgia was doing good enough, too. I thought Mark Rick was good enough. I thought, man, here's a guy that wins at a 750 clip. Here's a guy that plays in an SEC championship game once every three years. Here's a guy that's close. Here's a first-class, tremendous representative. And, man, he, he, does, he does good enough. And you know what Georgia said? Georgia said, we're sick of good enough. We want it all. We want to be the dynasty. Because we Florida want to enough. compete with Nick Saban. Yeah, we're gonna quite literally. We're going to fire a first ballot Hall of Fame coach, and we're going after Kirby Smart. And if Kirby Smart says that we need to spend sixty million on a West End Zone and eighty million on a football building and thirty-five million on an indoor, we're going to get it. We're going to form this McGill Society, and we're going to raise all the money, and we're going to spend more money than anybody else in recruiting. We're going to turn Sanford Stadium into a palace. And we're going to do whatever Kirby Smart wants because Georgia decided that being pretty good, Jeff, wasn't good enough. Georgia decided they wanted to be the best. You can say Oklahoma only needs to win by seven, but those Sooners win by damn 40 points. Because Mike, it's, they just, can. It, it's a false premise. It, it's, it's just a straw man argument. Playing no, no, the game no, no. Let me was not you. No, 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 no. You're giving Nick Saban – one more recruiting weekend. Then if you're giving him one more minute on a practice field, if you're giving him one more road trip. So that's, that's only point number one. Let me go to point number two here. Georgia can do whatever they want with their designated home game. Okay. I don't think Florida would move the game out of Jacksonville. You know why? Because they've never had to. They're 70 miles away. They can fly recruits in and have them hang out on their campus for the weekend. And the kids and their family can drive 70 minutes. Georgia can't do that. It's 340 miles away. Now, that's just the recruiting part. But but the bigger part, and I think you and Connor, and maybe Jeff, I mean, Jeff, you know, I don't know how much time he spent, in, you know, taco stand, you know, last resort. Uh, I, I, you know, I, uh, I don't, don't even. Know. Oh, come on. 
Come I mean, on, like, these, don't make these, the money listen, argument. I, listen, I'm down here now, and, and there's ice cream shops, and and there's cafe, cafes, and this is great. You know what? They got the ocean. 365 days a year, man. They got an ocean. They got an NFL team. Athens, Georgia relies on the University of Georgia. And for these administrators to this take money out of the pocket. This is so the wrong. Teachers, of the doctors, of the police, the firemen, because they want an extra two or three million to put another lamp in their office or a free weekend on whatever island because some Jacksonville City Council guy buys them a few extra drinks. That's irresponsible. How about you support the no. community that supports you? Novel concept. Pat died. Mike, great Mike Pat told we're gonna me ma- that this is crazy. Pat died. We're going to make I this don't about money. I care what he we're, thought about this. I mean, with all, all due respect, I don't care what he thought about this. He's the most educated guy on the topic. It's why he moved the game out of Birmingham to Auburn, and he saw immediate results. And Alabama stayed stubborn and kept the game there until on. they realized what an advantage I'm let, it was. I'm going to let Connor have his time here, but you can't compare Legion Field to St. Simons Island. You can't compare the two things. <laughs> well, you're comparing <laughs> Dallas to Jacksonville. Dallas is the number four metro market in the nation. Jacksonville's 39. Austin, Texas is 195 miles from Dallas. Norman is 190. This is 340 and 70. Apples to oranges. If you're doing Georgia, Florida right, you ain't spending more than four hours in Jacksonville. Go ahead, guys. If we want to make this about money, I mean, the city of Athens, a place I love dearly, and it's great. They get the University of Georgia gets more money so Kirby Smart can build a West End zone, so he can build a new recruiting lounge. They get more money from Jacksonville. So this isn't a money-related argument. And it's nice to want to help the city of Athens, but the University of Georgia has to look out of the for the University of Georgia itself. And so if Jacksonville is going to continue to give them more money than they would make from a home game every other year, they owe it to themselves to go after that Jacksonville money. I yeah, agree. Well, they, should take, they should take care of themselves, and they should listen to the head coach that they hired and he wants it back in Athens, and ultimately that's why the home game should come back because Kirby Smart's the guy that you trust, and that's what he wants, and that's what's going to happen, and that's why Jacksonville backed off last night. Well, let me tell you this. Kirby's better win a national championship before he starts trying to cancel the cocktail party. That's just that's my, what you say, VA. That's just one man's one vote on that. Let's keep the alcohol talk going here for a moment. Obviously a lot consumed around the uh, Florida First Coast here this weekend, the Golden Isles there as well. How about at Stegman Coliseum? To watch Joni Taylor's charges, to watch Tom Crane's charges, uh, a little beverage to go along with that. Um, I find this a little bit fascinating. I, I don't know if it's honestly a good thing or a bad thing. Jeff, what do you think? What, what do you think about what do you think about alcohol at Stegman Coliseum now? Okay, so I laughed. I try to laugh like a belly laugh at least once a day about something because that's incredibly healthy. And my belly laughs for the week were quantified. When I looked at uh, the Dog Nation story about Georgia basketball and alcohol sales, Mm -hmm. and there were so many riffs of the same joke about yada, 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 I'm going to need it to be able to get through this basketball season at Georgia, or that's what they need, or – I get, I get it. It's a very it's smart administration. The transfer portal pale ale or something like that. They should do. I, I mean, I mean, it is a great. Uh, I mean, really, the, the time they should have had alcohol inside the stag was when Anthony Edwards was looking like one of the top five players of the next twenty five years in the NBA when he was lightening it up there. But right now, you say pilot program, and 
you know, really influential, very leaned in, very connected folks tell me, they say, Jeff, that's going to happen next season in Sanford Stadium. It's just it, it, that's probably an easier two foot, three foot putt than moving the game out of Jacksonville. But I mean, I like I like how the did you guys notice how the press release was crafted so expertly that Georgia is the 12th school in the SEC to go go forward with this, which makes people think that all the staunch, staunch right. conservatives and Bible belters can realize that Georgia. Yeah, we're not luscious like those people at LSU that did this the first second they had a chance. <laughs> we waited. We let 12 other teams go first. Yeah, and I mean. It's a big story this week. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. You know, this is an interesting news drop to do in the middle of Georgia, Florida week when you have the number one team in the country getting to go down to the cocktail party again, of all things. But I think it's inevitable. I think it's a revenue stream. I mean, listen, folks, how many, how many years now has it been two or three years where they've had alcohol in the suites? In the Sky Suites at Georgia, I think at least two or three. Well, Sky years Suites now. have been there for a long time. The the, the new thing is the uh, McGill Lounge and the and the, the yeah, two hundred yeah. level. Sky Suites have been getting they've, – they've been having a good time there. For <laughs> they've been getting long. Georgia crown for a long time, for yeah. the last few years. Con- um, Connor, what do you think about this? I mean, it's the closest we'll get to talking about Georgia basketball in a meaningful way on here for a few months. So, I mean, you know, it's another reason to go out to a game if you're a fan looking to enjoy a, a night or an afternoon activity. But I, I see someone mentioned in the comment section, it doesn't help Georgia get any better on the basketball court. Maybe it can help them – afford a better men's basketball coach next year. But I, again, you know, th- this basketball program sort of is what it is at this point in time. And I mean, it's cool. It's a cool story. We'll see it in Sanford. You know, part of me does worry about what we saw a few weeks ago at Tennessee and sort of, you know, we praise the raucous nature of college crowds. Well, they're already kind of liquored up from tailgating and then you give them more alcohol during the game and then something doesn't go their way. It, that can be a little scary, and I will admit that the Tennessee thing, and, and again, I was someone who was pro this, that what we saw with Tennessee and Ole Miss a few weeks ago was at the very least a little concerning. It did give me some pause with regards to alcohol at college sporting events. Yeah, that, that's because the clear they're drinking that was, you know, distilled in some, you know, mountain woods area. That's not because of something they bought in the stadium. Uh, that's the stuff that comes in that white lightning clear bottle. But here's the thing. Listen, I've been very complimented, and this will be my only on this subject i've been very complimentary of the work that georgia has done to make the in-stadium experience for football more enjoyable i do think it's cool they got better ice in the concession stand for instance and i do think they've worked hard to get better food items Uh, i can tell you this my wife takes our kids to games a lot and she certainly loves the idea that the prices uh the concession stand prices have come way down that's really really uh, a nice thing for a family that's got young kids and things like that but it doesn't matter if they put beer in Sanford Stadium or not. The lines are too long to enjoy. Listen, that's Correct. not me taking a, a cheap shot at Georgia because they're working hard to make the in-stadium experience better. I truly do believe that. But the lines are so long, no one's getting beer. And if they can't find more options, and I don't even know what you do. Like, I remember talking to Greg McGarity about this. It's like, you can do grab-and-go with food. You can't really do grab-and-go with beer. Like, I don't know what you do to make it more accessible to people, but – they can have all the beer they want in, in Stegman Coliseum, but I don't believe there's any translation for that for Sanford Stadium because the structure of the stadium and the confined corridors and concourses there, the large crowds, beer in Sanford Stadium is just going to be you know, uh, uh, irrelevant because people aren't going to be able to survive the long lines to the front to get that. I'm not ripping Georgia for saying that. I'm just saying they've got an issue with concession stand lines. A, lot's gone, a lot has been improved in that stadium recently, but the concession stand lines are still too long on most days during the game. 
Uh, guys, I'll share some field testing and some actual research. I think it was a couple of years ago, the 2019 Vanderbilt game, when um, I was around, we had to go in and out the press box. I think Mike will laugh and also agree with me that the press facilities and the uh, ability to facilitate press in, in Nashville is not up to the modern standard. So I was going back and forth a lot, trying to go up from the press box, up and down, transmit photos, things like that. And I noticed a lot of Georgia fans. Everybody remembers Nashville two years ago. They had the ability to serve alcohol. You could you could buy IPAs. You could buy beers in certain kiosks around the stadium. And I encountered so many Georgia fans that came up with the following. They said, A, I can drink a beer 355 days of my life. I can't mm. watch Georgia football but 7 to 12 to 15 games a year. I'm not going to miss the entire third, fourth yeah. quarter in order to drink a beer and have a drink at a Georgia right. game. I can drink before, I can drink after. So unless this becomes a way that it's like a certain fast food, uh, grilled chicken breast, breaded chicken breast establishment efficiency of getting the um, libations in and out and getting people back in their seats, I'm going to say this and debate it all you want. I think the Georgia people would rather pass up the alcohol and the alcohol sales in Sanford Stadium if it means they're going to miss 15 minutes of a key football game. I think that's probably true. Um, I, th I think it is. Mike, you have a thought on this? I don't think we've heard from you on this topic. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of torn up on it. You know, I, I remember when the Big Ten discussed it, um, you know, back in 2014. And I, I didn't think it would come to Georgia. I know Greg McGarity uh, wasn't real big on it. Uh, you know, I see these social media videos about at the NFL stadiums. You see these NFL guys punching and fighting in the crowd you see people getting beer dumped on them you know it's irresponsible behavior i've heard the argument that people are going to sneak things in and um i don't know i mean i i you know you guys were talking about how georgia needs to have all this money and i guess they make more money but i just feel like you know i guess i'm kind of on the other side of this one you know i i like college sports i like that it's different than pro sports it seems the the longer we go, the more we're trying to turn college sports into pro sports, or maybe that's just the nature of the evolution of college sports. I'm not sure, but I, I would I would probably be cautious with this. I like the way they said pilot program. They're going to examine it. They're going to watch it closely. There's it's there's going to be some some rules in place, um, but I, I it's something I'm concerned with. And honestly, you know, again. You know, when you live in the college town, and I know all you guys don't live in Athens, but when you actually live in the community and you're a part of that community, you worry about things like pedestrian safety. We've had a couple people uh, struck on Broad Street recently and, um, you know, more traffic and maybe there's a few more people behind the wheel that shouldn't be. You worry about things like that. Like, you know, I, I worry about the Georgia community as much as I worry about the sports because I, I know these people. They're the neighbors, right? Like I said, they're the they're the business owners that rely on the university for commerce. And, and uh, you know, the, the alcohol dynamic is, I, I would say, proceed cautiously would be my advice. So the one area where this, and we'll get ready to wrap this up at this, but the one area where this seems to be working the best, I'd say, are the beer gardens. Connor, have you seen these for baseball where, like, you just mm -hmm. have more space for it? It's a laid-back atmosphere. You're outside. I think it's easier to serve people that way, the, even at the big ballparks. And the SEC's got a couple of really big yeah. ones. Uh, but even at the big ballparks, it's just easier to do that. Logistically, for all the football stadiums, it's a real it's a real challenge. And for one of these older stadiums, I mean, the other parts of the of Sanford Stadium were built in 1929 or 28 or whatever it was. There's mm -hmm. a people are just smaller back then. It, it's just hard to to get people through the 
the concourse is there. It seems to be working pretty well, though, for some of these baseball stadiums, though. Yeah, and so I, I actually think it's kind of a good idea for some of these non-revenue sports, women's basketball, for example. That encourages, I think, families maybe to go out. And if you want to have a, a drink at a game, you know, maybe that's a little bit more enjoyable to get more people out. I think baseball would be great, except, you know, the beer garden thing, Foley Field is pretty much landlocked right now, and it's hard mm-hmm. for them to expand and, and add more there. But I, you know, part of me, I'm going to a World Series game this weekend If I'm able to have a beer, that, you know, that makes my experience slightly more enjoyable. And I think people, you know, Georgia baseball fans, they've got a good atmosphere and environment going there. You know, they're able to enjoy a beer at that game. Maybe that brings a few more people out. And so I I do think, well, yes, I think it presents obvious challenges with the football game day and atmosphere with there already being 93,000 people in the stadium. I do think for some of these non-revenue sports, it could be, you know, potentially a good thing and get some more people in the stands. I think that's uh, really good stuff. Let's take a couple comments before we get ready to get out of here. Uh, G. Greg's Bama boy, by the way, is predicting Georgia get a thirty-eight. I, I want to ask. I want to ask a question. I, I hear what right, you're saying. Have you ever not gone to a sporting event though because alcohol wasn't served? No, I. I mean, I haven't. But um, uh, I mean, I, I. I haven't. I don't. Would think. you be dissuade? Have you ever been <sighs> dissuaded about going to certain events though because of? alcohol being served well now i'll answer this question this way i mean don't kid yourself there's a gigantic percentage of georgia fans and sec fans across the board that yeah. if you ban tailgating they're not coming to the game um and right. you know you can say what you want about that but uh, that's just a fact like that's just what is that if you kind of said hey not only is there not gonna be an alcohol in the stadium we're gonna we're gonna police alcohol you know being consumed on university property because that's really how you get away the tailgating thing Athens police don't like you walking around with an open container around downtown but if you're on university property it's pretty much you know uh, live and let live but if they ban that tomorrow there'd be a lot of people not coming back to georgia games and that's just the mm-hmm. way that it goes that's just the way life is um, um simple ahead, uh simple uh scientific pretty much scientific fact here i would imagine you know i, I laugh a little bit when we talk about alcohol inside sanford stadium because I think a lot of our commenters are right on the money. They're talking about flasks. They're talking about Ziploc bags. I think, I think on any given Saturday, I would imagine that 25% of the uh, patrons inside Sanford Stadium are already drinking anyway. Ooh, 25% may be conservative. On, on that that. Oh, wow. I think it's more than 25%, don't you? I think it's actually 55%, Brandon. But I, I just want to say that because we're on a family show. And you have I think you guys quality. are maybe – you guys are overestimating how difficult it is to get that kind of stuff into Sanford Stadium. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I, yeah, I don't mean taking it into the stadium. I, that's not yeah. 55%. But there are yeah. 55% of the people who are who are oh, yeah. well-looted coming into the stadium for sure. Yeah, but but getting that kind of stuff into the stadium to keep drinking, that that's a separate challenge. Yeah, no, That's that, a not, much more difficult task. I will tell you this, and this makes, make, makes it sound like a Boy Scout or whatever else. I have never brought contraband into a stadium. Never brought contraband into a stadium. I did one time have some nice seats where they didn't like make you throw your cup away. And so I did take my cup into the stadium. This has probably been 15 years ago. Um, They didn't make you throw your cup away. But when it comes to like trying to get past the security guard and hiding something, I've never taken contraband into a stadium. You know, Connor's maybe obviously Connor's the youngest one of us, but I think he had a very strong salient point on this topic. The one thing I don't want to see with, um, alcohol and the dollar signs and the revenue streams of SEC football relenting and finally giving into alcohol sales. 
is I do not want to see the escapade that happened at ne- happened at Neyland Stadium in Knoxville a couple weeks ago. I don't want to see that. I think that's yeah. bad for college football, and I think it's very hard to police. And I don't know if alcohol is so much the reason for the vitriol in that game. I think it's probably Lane Kiffin mm-hmm. coming back to Tennessee. That's probably more so than anything. But that's something you do not want to see in college football. But in I got a question, B.A. Well, hold on, let me just say this. Let me just say this. I'll let you say this. In fairness to Georgia fans, have you seen the way that Tennessee fans act when they're sober? Like, I'm not quite so sure them drunk is much of a measuring stick for anything that Georgia fans might do. Uh, because I've seen Tennessee fans and they're sober, and that's not a pretty sight either. But, Mike, go ahead and jump in. We'll make this the last thought. I got to go go uh, carve these pumpkins. Carve pumpkins. So, scoop, yeah, last, scoop, goop. Scoop, goop. And, by the way, I am on dognation.com right now. So, Allison Scaly and everybody over there said I wasn't going to take any comments on dognation.com. You can see right there I'm on dognation.com right now. So, hello to Allison, hello to Tony, Big Dog Brock, Chase, a lot of folks weighing in over there. But, Mike, floor is yours. This will be the last comment of the night because I've got to get off the air. Wow. Well, I mean, you know, so here's my question. So if you allow alcohol, where do you draw the line? You're in Colorado. Are you selling gummies? Are, are you going to allow gummies with THC in the stadium? Is is that going to be le- – is marijuana going to be legalized outside the stadium? If, you know, I mean, it, to me it's just where do you and, – and if the answer is yes, then it's yes. But I guess um, – and I don't necessarily think that, you know, evil things come from everybody that – that drinks and gets high and, you know, I'm, I'm a very much live and let live kind of guy. Uh, but I do believe in a public arena. Um, one of the things that has set college sports apart is that it's generational. And mm-hmm. so you can see a lot of senior citizens go there without much fear of the guys brawling in the end. Hold on, the oldest, the, the old people at San Francisco are the drunkest people in the stadium. I mean, let's just, <laughs> I mean, we can, like, I'm going to force it. To you got nothing to lose. The, 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 the old people in San Francisco are the ones that are falling all over themselves. But uh, well, my, my kids are, my kids are all grown up, but, but one of the reasons why I didn't bring them to games early was, was because of the, the concerns about the people around them and yeah. what they might be drinking or what they might hear. And, uh, and I, I just hope for the sake of, Sanford Stadium and Stegman Coliseum. You know, I've told you guys this before. You guys know I'm well traveled. You, you make fun of me sometimes about it. That's fine. But but Georgia truly is one of the nicest, cleanest, best group of fans and environments that I've ever run across. It's a beautiful place. I have so much respect for Sanford Stadium and Jacksonville is nice. Okay, it really is. But to me, there's just nothing like Sanford Stadium in that environment and and the people that represent the University of Georgia. They do an unbelievable job. Well, I will say this. I mean, I'm now in the stage of life where I am taking kids to the game. And, you know, obviously not having a bad experience with them is something, at least my wife's take. I'm not actually sitting in the press box, <laughs> chilled out. She's the one that's dragging kids throughout the stadium. And so a good experience for them is very important to me. And speaking of those kids, they're carving pumpkins right now. And I've delayed as long as I can. Now I've got to go scoop all that goop out of the middle. It's the grossest thing in the world. I, like to, to me, this is the worst. And, and no one's more of a Griswold than I am when it comes to holiday <laughs> traditions. It's my least favorite. Getting your hands in there and pulling that junk out of the pumpkin. Can. Pulling all that orange or that gross orange out of there. You know, oh, I mean, what else do you expect? Way too close to a Tennessee uniform or a Florida uniform or or anything like that. Um, all right, really good stuff. <laughs> Eric Emmett, and we'll, we'll make this the last comment. He says, What's that coming down the track? A nice and clean train in red and black. <laughs> That's uh, really funny. That's one of those, if you know, you know. Hey, uh, good stuff. Have a good night. Jeff's got his uh, Han Solo blaster. I'll see you tomorrow on Dog Nation Daily. Special guest on the program tomorrow. Very special guest. I was supposed to announce it today, and uh, I didn't. But tomorrow, and obviously, Jeff Sintel is going to be there. 
In addition to Jeff, we also have a special guest there as well. Someone who carries a lot of weight when it comes to who should win the Heisman Trophy, and we'll ask him directly if he thinks Jordan Davis should win the 2021 Heisman Trophy. So that's on Dog Nation Daily tomorrow. It's going to be a fun one. And we're in uh, Mill Creek tomorrow night for Mill Creek, Collins Hill, in Jacksonville after that. Connor and Mike got you all kinds of covered on all that kind of stuff. Too. So y'all have a great day. I'm not a